Hello everyone, my name is always Asmal. Welcome to another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat, a show where we talk career experiences, entrepreneurship and investments. The main aim is to show that there's more than one way to be successful other than just climbing the corporate ladder. We are live on LinkedIn and YouTube and the show will be available on podcast by tomorrow morning. So don't forget to like, subscribe and click on that notification bell to get automatically notified when the next episode comes out. If you're joining us live, drop a one in the comments so that we know we're not talking to ourselves. And if you're watching the recording, drop a two in the comments. My guest for this week is Valnavia Gura, chartered accountant who's a finance executive that chose the ACCA route. Valnavia, thanks so much for joining me today. No, thanks for having me. Let's jump straight in. Tell us your story. Where do you come from? And even outside of work, who is Valnavia Gura? That's a... I've, I've rehearsed for that question, but uh, it, it's still very difficult. So I'll start with, because I'm not schizophrenic, I'm not bipolar, I'm the same person I am inside and outside of work. <laughs> That's important. Um, but if, if you were to ask, okay, so what do I spend my days doing when I'm not doing accounting things? I spend a great deal of my time reading books. It's a little bit cliche, but... Uh, I find great comfort in, in reading whatever's in front of me. And because I'm in Cape Town, I wouldn't let my people down. But if I, you know, I have to say hiking. It would either be hiking, surfing, or cycling. So I hike a lot. I started by myself. Then my husband joined me. And somehow I managed to convince my twins, their eight, to, to join me. So now once, once every Saturday, once... Once a week, we try to go up something and the kids, one took to it like a fish to water. He climbs easy. The other always wants to know when we're going to get there. So <laughs> I'm a negotiator, as you can see. So we're with them. I'm like, no, 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 soon, soon. We're going we're gonna to get up there pretty, pretty soon. So that's at a hobby level. That's That's what I do. And then if we were to put, let's say, if we were to try and put a title to it, then I would say mom, because it's an important title, has been now for eight years. The twins are turning eight on the 11th of March, so that's like top of mind. Like I've never really thought of myself as a mom, but I think they're getting to that age where I'm like, yes, I'm definitely, definitely a mom. I've kept people alive for eight years, so that's a big win. Twins makes me stress, but yeah. <laughs> And, and your career journey, a little bit about your career journey. So my career journey, um, I guess, you know, I think of myself sometimes as an accidental accountant. I got to the university registration center and I called back home and I said, okay, it looks like the geography, um, bachelor's in geography uh, openings are still there. I'm ready, I'm going to sign up. And my dad said, I mean, sure, I'll support you. But remember, I'm only paying for accounting. <laughs> and so there I was in the queue, having to make an important life decision. I had two minutes to determine where I'd find the financing and how my life would go. Because up until that point, I thought we had an agreement. I would study rocks and he would leave me be. But like you said, he was very supportive, as long, but then the financial support would only come to accounting. So I went in kicking and screaming in university um, 
And I remember railing um, against him. I went to an aunt of mine and I said, this this is not right. This is a dictatorship. And she's like, don't worry. You can always do this when you're like 25. You come back, you do what you want. And so I went, I studied diligently. The plan was always at some point, I'll go back and I'll do geography. But here we are some 13, 14, maybe 18 years later. And I have stuck with it all the way. <laughs> to the end. That was right. That was right. <laughs> you might be wrong. There's still time. Okay. <laughs> There's still time. That's, that's, that's very true. Yeah. I mean, um, and then from there, I everything, I, I wouldn't say it was an accident, but then I was like, I'm a I'm a little bit of a planner where I plan my five years. I realized that I wouldn't have enough money for said geography. Um, degree, so I'd have to work a little bit. So I said, until I turned 25, I would find whatever jobs I could. And those jobs took me into treasury, into property management, into working for a classifieds company, all the way now to, to Bash, which is a fashion and lifestyle um, app. And, you know, it's been a series of, I'll plan the next five, I'll plan the next five, I'll plan the next five. And somewhere along the line, I forgot about my previous aspirations because, I mean, any department will tell you this is great. This is a, it's a pretty sweet deal when you're doing this. I see we also started articles around the same time. And you've also changed jobs a few times every few years, which I've done as well. So no, no, nothing negative about that. And I have my reasons. But what are your main reasons? My main reasons were, like I said to you, so the five-year mark. So I split my, my 20s to 30s into I'm going to learn as much as possible, right? And so getting a professional qualification was a result of what are the things that I actually need to learn in, in my, to further my, my profession. So this is irresponsible, but I said my goal was that by 30, there was a specific salary that I was going for. I wasn't going for any aspiration. It was like, I'll tell you, it was 40 by 30. I have to get this. This like was it. an important number. So I had 40 by 30. And so my change was, was I in a job where I was learning? Right. I didn't want to put myself in a corner and end up either in the job itself where I wasn't learning or being with people and individuals that I wasn't learning from because for a time my manager would teach me and then at some point I'd, be, I'd get to a point an inflection point where it's okay I've learned as much as I can and then I would I would leave in some circumstances I think there's one job though back to my identity where I left because it I was a new mom it was incredibly far from where from where I lived and the trek the one hour trek both ways I couldn't do it and I think where where you become a mama's, you know, I wasn't telling the truth when I said it, it just occurred to me. But from the moment I gave birth, I got into this existential, what is the meaning of life thing. So driving one hour away from the kids, it wasn't so important. So that was a valid reason for leaving a job. And then another one was always, I'm, I have to be learning. If I'm getting to 40 by 30, I have to have learned as much as possible because at that point, that 40 might bind me in and I might not be able to make a change quickly. Um, that, makes, that makes a lot of sense. 
and I'm sure a lot of people think about those kind of things, but I like that 40 by 30. Uh, I'm sure um, 30 years old these days would be like, no, no, that's too little. We have a bigger number. But remember, this is a while back. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You need to take into account inflation. No, 100%. Just, just for the answers out there, we, 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 we're not underestimating our abilities. We're just, we're just a little bit Precisely. older than you. And look, my aspirations were to be a geologist of some kind. They, they don't make a lot of money. So 40 by 30 is, it was nice. It was the stuff of dreams. And I made up this number when I was 23, right? So it was seven years out. I don't think I compounded because I wasn't thinking like that. It was more like a very linear, this is where I need to get. So I don't think I factored in inflation, if that helps them. I see your experience covers many different industries. How did you find the learning curve when moving from one industry to another? I mean, it, it assumes that you have to know the industry, right? But what you have to know is finance, and that is unchanging. So whether you're applying your trade in um, signage, in a manufacturing firm, in a retail firm, in a, in a technology firm, the principles of finance are basically the same and they'll change right as you go from level to level so when i was younger i started you, you start with what are the principles of cost accounting so it's very technical you have to know exactly what is happening then what are the principles of financial management you have to know exactly how money works and then what are the principles of putting together um, a finance team and so the blueprint for working within finance across many industries it's it's the same i think if we've done anything really really well globally it's that the finance profession has been standardized to such a level that to such a degree that if someone was to say to you hey you're a manufacturing person here i am with biological assets come work here don't be frightened i always say and i think my favorite sentence in the whole world is that i probably did it in a textbook I'll go back to that textbook and reread that chapter and see what else is missing. It's in there something, there's really nothing. Finances, it's boring like that. We've standardized. Makes sense. Makes sense. Although it's good to know how to make how the company makes money. <laughs> <laughs> but the principles are the same. I mean, uh, I'll tell you. So now, one thing a manufacturing company and a an, and, um, technology company are fundamentally the same. Because what matters to them is understanding the unit economics of their business. What are those unit costs? Yes. So everything that you do, say, and, I, and I'm assuming your, your, your audience is pretty young and they're still in school. Most of the things that you do, especially at past financial management level, it's really a combination of cost accounting and financial management. You're going back to what is process costing. You're going back to when I'm doing unit manufacturing, those operating statements. What are they? And so, and that's how a company makes money. It's the sum of all its tiny little parts. And so I found maybe a little later than I would have wanted that, you know what, that cost textbook that I hated and I threw away, where we said, what are the unit costs? That is what finance really is. What are those unit costs? Are they fixed? Are they variable? And so... There's there's beauty in the fact that it's unchanging. There's some way, it's some way, you'll find it. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, for the audience, we'll be responding to questions towards the end. So please add your questions to the comment section now so that we don't miss them. 
let's change uh, tack a little bit and talk ACCA. So why did you decide to choose that route over, let's say, the CASA route? So I think, look, I'm Zimbabwean, so fun fact. And when you were in Zimbabwe, in, if you were in Zimbabwe in 2008, I think what became very clear to you during that financial crisis period, and I think globally everybody went through it, but if you were going through it at that point in Zimbabwe, it was very clear that you would need choices and you would need to make those choices by yourself and you would need to make sure that you built your life in such a way that you would never be boxed into a corner about where one you could go and where you could be. And so in considering, I mean, I didn't make this decision in 2008, I probably made it like about a decade later, but in considering what it was that I would ply my trade in, I wanted something that would enable me to be a global nomad without having to re-justify myself territory by territory, um, no matter where I landed. I mean, it just so happens that I'm in South Africa, but I'm young enough to go to Europe, to go to, 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 to America, South, North, whichever place. So ACCA, the way I saw it then, the way I see it now, was that it would open up the world to me, that I wouldn't be backed into, let's say, whether it's a territory or even like a domain of accounting. I would do what I wanted to do with it. So that was the primary reason of ACCA. I think just importantly is that it was a, almost binary. It was ACCA or is it CA? SEMA did not factor in because kind of always wanted to be a boss. So I felt it was technical, which is great, but technical stuff is not just not my forte. And uh, for the maybe uh, for the audience out there who doesn't know much about ACCA, can you give us a small uh, a small background Snippet. on it? Okay, so ACCA is, I think, 14 or 13 exams that you write in total. Um, you start where you are. So if you are in university, you can start immediately. Or if you've got an honors degree or, if another, or another accounting qualification, you start where you are and you get exemptions as you, as you go. So whether you have high school, write everything. Then degree, which part? Write some, not everything. Whether you have another professional qualification, you write maybe three or four. Um, and so that's basically how you slice it up. And it can be as long as um, maybe to write the exams. It depends on how intelligent you are. You can do everything. If you have all exemptions, you can do everything in a year and a half. For some, they do it in a year. And then you have to do, I think the best way to explain it is training outside of professional practice. You work under a qualified accountant for at least three years, so a minimum of three years, and whether it's an ACCA or a CA, and they sign off on what you have done. So you basically account for each and every single step. Have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And then it culminates in an ethics and professionalization paper where you take a series of courses. They're like virtual reality in some cases on ethics. So Ethics, I suppose, is like the, the the great equalizer because, you know, everything else, you, you, you do it. It's incredibly difficult. But the ethics papers, they get you because ethics and morality, you know how big of a deal they are right now. So over the years, ACC has just made them grow in terms of how important they are to the course. So it's the final exam. They don't tell you it's an exam, but it's definitely an exam that you take. 
And um, how long did it take you to complete the process? And in hindsight, uh, if you if you could if you knew, would you take the same approach approach that you did? So it took me. I started in 2014. Then, at the risk of oversharing, but I think you have a lot of women and and young ladies who want to start family. So started in 2014, I was like, let me take it slowly, let me feel it out. And I got pregnant. It was not a very nice experience. So I stopped. So 2014 wrote one paper and 2015 I did absolutely nothing. And then from 2016 it was on like Donkey Kong. And I look back now and I don't know how she did it. I wouldn't have done it. Like, that was horrible. That was hard. I had two young kids. <laughs> I had two young kids at a full-time job. And I was studying these incredibly, incredibly hard exams. So it took me the whole of 2016 and 2017 to work through, to work through everything. And if I could do everything, I'd have probably taken my father's advice and done it straight after university. You know, but I think that's where the beauty is, where with ACCA, you can also time yourself, right? You don't have to write everything. If you can only do one paper at a time, easy does it. You do one paper at a time, you pace yourself, and you can work through three papers, three, four papers in a single year. And I think if giving myself advice would be, you know, do it straight after university. Like, just do everything all at once. That's the hard one advice. So we'll, we we will take that. <laughs> Hindsight is twenty twenty. I'd probably still do the exact same thing. <laughs> and I don't see any questions coming through from the audience. So if something says you've answered all the questions. Yeah, they're very happy. They're, they're <laughs> that, that you want you know, But this is one question I like to ask all my guests: is what is one piece of advice you would give your younger self? <sighs> My younger self, it's a tough question. Um, I'll tell you why it's a little bit difficult for me is that I don't like to look back and have regrets. Like, um, I, I like to look back and be like, okay, fine, probably we could have made this choice a little bit differently, but I forget my regrets. So let's see, maybe don't fight your dad so hard. You know, I might have made his life a little bit difficult when I was... Um, I think during my first year of university, you know, dad was right. Then the second thing is, I think it's okay to make mistakes. I remember when I, I, I failed the tax paper. So with ACCA, you can specialize later. Um, and it came down to me. I was like, okay, I love, I would love to know strategic finance is important. I think it's great. It'll take me places. So let's do that one. And then I really love tax. Like, I, I don't know how to explain that, like express that properly. I really love tax. So I took the tax paper and I failed it. It was like my final exam, everything else I've passed. And I'd been passing really well. I was getting 60s and 70s. I surprised myself. Um, and I failed. And I was very convinced. I'll go back. To, I went back to that paper. I was very convinced that the examiner was wrong. And it kind of it floored me for a bit, not a long time, but for a bit. And I rewrote it. I think just looking back, 
it's okay to fail. Like some failure, don't like take it on the chin, just roll over, you know, start again. I didn't really, you know, wallow in misery and be like, but I do know that it knocked my confidence a little bit. So when I was restarting, I went over everything even harder because I was like, it's because of something I did wrong. No, it was just a bad batch that time. I was, I was fine. So, so that's one. Um, and I think I'll carry that across even, even in my career, because there have been moments during work and outside of work where I'll suffer a loss and I'll take it much harder than I probably should have. Like in hindsight, I'm like, oh, you know, it wasn't that bad, but yeah. And it's probably part of it is that I personalize a lot of failure. Like what is that I could have done wrong? And I don't think I'll change, but that's like a character flaw that I that I seem to have. And I'd give myself advice that like in summary, it's like it's okay to fail. You probably will. No one is going to be perfect all throughout. And you'll probably be harder on yourself than the rest of the world. That's good advice. We've got one question slipping through, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put nice. it in quickly from Akama, who says, uh, is an undergraduate uh, final year accounting student, you want to know, what are some of the finance organizations that they, can, that, that they can join in Cape Town as a volunteer to put the theory into practice? And what are the things that you did in your undergrad to understand your auditing and tax more and financial management? Oh, okay, okay, that's a lot. That That's a lot. <laughs> let's, let's break it up. So, um, what are some of the things that I did? You assume that I was very organized. Um, I did absolutely nothing. So the, the only thing I did was I stuck to the theory because you find like, you know, when I when I made that comment, I, I don't know if you joined, but the comment of you'll find it in a textbook, you find that accounting as it is, it almost, it's a very clear theoretical thing that even if you take it and you put it anywhere else, that theory holds when it goes into practice. So take your textbook and go over those practice questions. Don't overstretch yourself. It's hard enough as it is without you trying to think, how else can I make myself better? If anything, join more networking groups. Um, and I've never tried to find any for undergraduates, but I do know some for some financial professionals. So there's one called um, CFO Connect that you can join. It's a global organization and you can just listen in. I don't think you need to have a job there. You, you can just listen into the conversations that people have. But I think my advice is always going to be you're better off in finance practicing your textbook than trying to find other organizations. I think where it might work if if I think of auditing and tax, I suppose auditing makes more sense once you've done it. 100%. Right. <laughs> when you're in a textbook, it's like, what is a misstatement? What does that mean? Right. And then you go and you sit in an auditing um, firm and you're like, oh, is that what we've been talking about? I would say approach audit firms and ask them just for a summer job, even if it's like one month where you you know, spend time, whether it's like filing or even shadowing, like be their um, person who goes to get coffee. You don't need to get in on the files. It's just understanding that lingo, because that's what auditing is. It's just lingo that once someone starts explaining it, you're like, ah, that's what it means. So for that, I would say either do that or go read a dictionary. Like it's, I promise you, like it'll be like, okay, what is a misstatement? What 
that's what it means because it's really the English of it that used to thing me up. And then tax, just to finish off, it's a very big question, sorry. I think with tax, it's, it's it holds. With tax, obsess yourself with trying to find the circular referencing in the books and discuss it with your friends. You know, with all of this, I think with finance and 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 accounting, you're better off actually robustly debating with your friends and trying to find other associations because what you'll find is that as you share, you actually get, gain more and more knowledge. And I'll let you in on a little secret. My dad doesn't know this, but I had one very, very smart friend and she doesn't know this, but she carried me through all of university because I'd spent a lot of time asking her. So, Yokai, shout out. <laughs> And yes, uh, Griwa, that there's also VAC work opportunities at, at the big audit firm. So do that. I mean, even if it's just a week, some people go for a week at the different firms and it kind of makes mm. works up to a month. So apply. Mm. And any last few words from you or anything we didn't discuss that you'd like the audience to know? Hmm. I mean, let's see. I, I want, let it be a vanity thing, right? So I think... So I started, I mean, if you guys have looked at my LinkedIn, you know, and you ways you touched on it, the my journey to here has been long and it has been arduous and it has been a lot of long hours, many tears because of certain failures, etc. I would say get yourself, <laughs> find something else that occupies your time because, you know, Finance is a lot of worry in the moment, especially out the profession in itself, the hours long. Get yourself something else that you're very passionate about that occupies your time outside of work. And I happen, you know, when I said I'm an avid reader, I really meant that. I'm a part of a book club we started some four or five years ago. I was having a conversation with a, with a friend of mine who's actually responsible for my being here. And he said to me, he was asking me, like, what are you doing this weekend? And I was like, I have a book club meeting. His response, again. And so <laughs> this has been a theme. And I was like, you know, again. And then we got to talking about why is it important that I be part of this book club and why is this book club important to me? And one can say reading, but what I found, it's all women. It's grown from five from the moment I was invited, from five or so members. We're now 41 members. We're spread out across the globe from somewhere in America, Germany, in Georgia, in Dubai, in I think Australia now. And we've spread out as a global community of readers, we've got authors joining our group and we discuss ideas and we discuss people and we discuss humanity. And we, I have found that through my love of reading, I've become really passionate about how the same we are globally. And so that's something that I've found that is like, find your passion, find something else. Find your passion, great, great way to end. The show has been live on YouTube and should be available on podcast by tomorrow. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast and you feel that it's added value, don't forget to like, subscribe, and click on that notification bell to get automatically notified when the next episode comes out. Uh, well, Navia, thanks so much for your time. You guys, thank you. I um, You took me out of my comfort zone, so <laughs> thanks for that. 
Thanks everyone for joining us for another episode of Two Ways to Skin a Cat. Goodbye.